right? And they expect everyone else to worship them as, as such. So, so it's interesting. So the cats come out, and they, and they gather, right? They find this, this safe person, and they're like, meow, 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 like, take us home, right? Like, and then all of a sudden, the moment you give them a home and you put them in the car, they want to get out of it. You know, they're like, wait, we like you, but we also want to do our own thing, right? We want to, we, we gather and we scatter. I wish the church were more like these kittens, right? Here's what I know we like to do. We like to gather. The problem is we don't like to scatter. I, I don't know what it is. We'll call it our holy huddle. We, we like safety. We like comfort. We like security, but God has designed you to be like these cats. You need to gather, and there's excitement in gathering, but you also need to scatter. There's, there's something about not being just centralized and localized to, to one particular place. Here's what I know, is that we have gathered, and this is a, an important time, but just as, as, as if we want to try to contain us here, your spirit needs to be, no, I want to go back. I want to go back out there. You need to be like those little kittens that say, hey, we like being together, but we also like doing our own thing. And you can do both for the glory of God. You can gather for the glory of God, which is a very important thing to do. This is what we call the church, important Sunday morning gathering where we can come and, and be encouraged. But you need to know the scattering is equally as important. This is what God has saved you to do. Not to exist here, some of you would be like, I wish this was open 24-7 and I could just be here for, for all time. And I go, no. As much as I love you, I don't want to be around you all the time. Can, can I say that and be okay? Like, I'm still your pastor. I still love you. But what brings me joy is not seeing you and hugging you and, 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 and praying with you and worshiping with you. But what excites my heart is to hear the stories that you bring back because as you scatter you understand what your importance is in the world. You understand your role in the world. This, this is good for us, but what God is doing in you and through you is good for the world. That's why gathering and scattering is important. So we turn to Acts 8, and, and what is God going to do in the early church? He's allowed them to gather, and now it's time to scatter. And he uses an interesting means by which they are going to be scattered, and he scatters the early church by means of persecution. Um, sometimes God allows difficult things to happen to remind us that comfort and ease can result in a deadly inertia that's not good for his kingdom. He, he saved us so that we can be salt and light out in the world, and, and, and we see this. See, God's got a plan, and that is to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, when are we going to get hip on his plan to reach the world? And sometimes he has to bring forth situations that force us to scatter. The early church, what that was, was called persecution. And I'm going to tell you right now is that sometimes, believe it or not, God blesses his people not in seasons of prosperity, but in seasons of problems. We've bought into this lie, like, oh, it's health, wealth, prosperity. Like, if it's good and I'm prospering and things are comfortable and easy, God must be working. That's not necessarily true. I'm going to make a, a case this morning that it's in our problems and in our pains and in our persecutions that God's work is really doing what it needs to do. 
So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that here in a bit. So Acts chapter 8, look at verse 1. So we, we t- dabbled a little bit in this last week. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. Now, you know, like a good pastor on Father's Day, he talks about death, right? Like, I think it was a, we were the only church in, in the world that said, for Father's Day, what are we going to talk about? Let's talk about death, all right? So we did that. And, uh, but it's not just any death. It's the death of Stephen who was treated as a heretic here on earth but received in heaven as a hero because this man lived for Jesus and went to his death trying to love people with the love of Christ. I mean, that's kind of like the way I want to go out, right? Like, happy Father's Day. Amen. Let's do this thing, right? So Saul, who was obviously leading this kind of shadow conspiracy, overseeing this whole execution of this man who was innocent, dying so much like Christ. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, right? Like, that's the spirit of Stephen. And Saul, who was supervising this execution, would be haunted by what he just participated in. He would write in Galatians, he would write in, in, to Timothy, he would write about the fact that he was responsible for, for trying to destroy the church. And here's the good news, is that no earthly power, no earthly person can ever destroy the church. The church is God's idea. And no gate of hell will stand against it. Awesome, we need to remember that. And so Saul's in hearty agreement with putting him to death, And on that day, a great persecution, circle that phrase, because it moves from just one man, Stephen, to now affecting the culture of the church in Jerusalem. A great persecution arose against the church, and they were all scattered. There it is, circle the word scattered. Scattering is not a bad thing. Persecution is not a bad thing. And these people were scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. We'll talk about that here in a bit. And some devout men stayed behind to bury Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women that he would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word verse 4. We're going to hang out there for a little bit. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria, began proclaiming Christ to the Samaritans, and the multitudes with one accord were given attention to what he said because they not only heard the message, but they saw the signs in which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was much rejoicing in that city. May God write his eternal truths upon our hearts this morning. Three things I want us to look at and, and, and important things. And with it, I'm going to teach you some Latin. Woo-hoo! It's not a dead language, right? Latin and why this is important because these terms, these ideas, these truths are, are important for us to think about as we go about in our scattering formation to reach the world, hopefully with something Something wonderful. All right, so there's this persecution, right? Look at verses 1 through, through 3. The head of the persecuting uh, team is Saul, and he's ravaging the early church. And this is the word that it's, it's a wild beast that's tearing its prey to shreds. This guy is angry. He is hostile. 
and uh, he responds with frenetic violence. Why? Because people sometimes respond to conviction by attacking you. One of the most difficult things to do in our world as followers of Christ is to bring to the table the truths of Christ. Because you are not always going to find a welcoming audience. Whenever you bring the truths of Christ to bear, people may give you a listen and say, I'm, inter- I'm interested. But sometimes the truth of God so convicts a person that they want to retaliate against you. Can, can I just, just say something real quick? You, that though you may be attacked, it is not you they, they're, they're attacking. Right? Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 1. I am filling up in my body the afflictions of Christ that the world does not want to submit to, surrender to, acknowledge as king, acknowledge as Lord. So while they can't attack him, they're going to attack you. We don't attack back. This is not a fight fire with fire moment. Romans 12 says, you, when you receive evil, you do good. So, so hard, isn't it? Because my flesh just wants to, like, I want to be, oh, man. You take one of my guys, I'll take two of your guys. You know, we're like this Christian mafia. No, 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 Jesus doesn't need a mafia. He, he wants you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because Romans 12 says, you can't fight evil with evil, but you got to respond with good and entrust that God is the one who will vindicate. God is the one who says, I will act with vengeance. Right? We, and this is the toughest part is to submit to that. So hard. So here's this early church, right? Saul tries to smother. God says, you're not going to smother. We're going to scatter. Right? The, 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 the persecution didn't smother the church, but it scattered the church, which brings us to the first point. And this is why scattering is so important. It's called the Missio Dei. Does that, does that phrase sound familiar? It's the name of our church community, right? Like Missio Dei, Latin for a God who's on mission. Some of you are like, oh, that's what it means. I get this all the time. What does Sozo mean? What does Missio Dei mean? Missio Dei is a God who's on mission, and the reason we call this community and this gathering Missio Dei is when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, now I send you. See, God is on mission because God's got a plan, and he's going to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So as long as we're still living, as long as we still have breath, as long as there's still this thing called planet Earth, We have a mission, and no other mission is more important than this mission, and that it is to let every single person, man, woman, child, know Jesus loves them. That Christ didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. So the Missio Dei, if we're going to think about our our role in this world, we have to embrace this, this idea that the path of fruitfulness is paved by recognizing God's providence in my problems. So here's the connection, is that when difficulties come into our lives, while our first response is to kind of crawl up in a corner in fetal position and cry, 
we begin to shift our thinking that what is happening to me is not ultimately about me. What is happening to me is somehow ordained by God to bring him glory and appoint people to Christ. I even hesitate to talk about this because it seems so counterintuitive. It seems like, are you kidding me? Are you saying, Pastor Scott, that when there's pain, when there's problems, when there's trials, when there's tribulations, when there's persecution, when there's attacks, that God is somehow sovereignly ordained those moments to showcase the beauty and grace and goodness of God. That's exactly what I'm saying. Here's a church. We'll go back to Acts 8. Notice what it says. This is unbelievable, right? Like, verse 4, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. It didn't say they found a cave to go get held up in and defend it for their lives. When they were scattered, they didn't go and say, okay, we need to build an army, a militia, and get back at the people who are persecuting us. That's not what it says. What it says is that when this problem happened, God dropped a bomb. Persecution happens. What was on their mind? Preaching the word. We've made this about us. And it's really about the gospel. There's this haunting sentence in 2 Corinthians 4 that Paul says, death works in us so that life is produced in you. Until the seed falls to the ground and dies, it won't produce anything. Here we go, talking about death again. I thought we relegated that to Father's Day. You know, until you come to Christ and die, your fruitfulness, your usefulness for the kingdom, it's not going to be anything. It's an invitation to die to yourself. Because in dying to yourself, it may produce something life giving in somebody else. Think about this. Here's this church being attacked. Saul, this just salivating, ravenous animal, and he is going to attack the church. But here's the promise of God. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Write it down. Because again, this is the key interpretive verse for the book of Acts. Acts 1, 8 says that you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, right? There's this, there's this ripple effect. It's going to start in Jerusalem, but it's not going to stay in Jerusalem. It's going to start at Missio Dei, but it's not going to stay at Missio Dei. It's going to start in this coffeehouse church we call Sozo, but it's not going to end here because this is the initial splash point, but the ripples go out and affect places beyond us. That's the Missio Dei. Jesus says, the Father sent me, now I send you, Go. This is not a come and see. This is a go and bless. This is not a come and see. This is a go and represent. 
right? This is not like we're going we're gonna to have fog machines and big screens and flying llamas and all that good stuff that, you know, they're not evil in and of themselves. But this is a point where we say we're going to equip the church to, to scatter for the glory of God. Every Christian is a missionary. Spurgeon, who always says things that just wreck our spirits. Sometimes we just want to close Spurgeon up and be like, no, done with you, Spurgeon. Tired of you convicting me. He says, if you're not a missionary, you're an imposter. Spurgeon, not me. I think he's, he's right. If, if you think your followership of Jesus consists of an hour and a half on a Sunday morning and maybe an hour or two hour Bible study outside of this and that's it, you're, you're mistaken. Your whole life has been redeemed by God to somehow, some way, point people to Jesus. Because at the end of the day, you realize he's our only hope. Sorry, Obi-Wan, you're not our only hope. It's Christ. Right? And so every Christian is a missionary. I'm in a room with pastors one time, and oh, it's just no group of people bother me more than other pastors. And I'm sure I do the same to them, so it's, it's a reciprocal thing. And uh, I brought up something along those points where I said, you know what, we need to train our people to be ambassadors, missionaries in the world. And this pastor said, that's not our job. And I was like, oh, dude, you want to go toe-to-toe right now? I'll pull out my Holy Spirit machine gun right now. And like, no, just kidding. That's a Benny Hinn reference. Horrible. Sorry. Uh, and I said, are you kidding me? If we're not, if we think it's about gathering our people and giving them a show and keeping them stuck here, that's not the mission of Jesus. You, we are called to mobilize and equip the saints for the work of ministry, Ephesians chapter 4. And my prayer is that you would be missionaries, ambassadors out there because there's a world that's dying without Christ. If, if I'm not encouraging you toward that and, and motivating you towards that, you know what? We can hang out in our holy huddle. We're not doing jack squat for the kingdom of God. We get eternity to have our holy huddle. This is not home yet. There's work to do. And so God has used persecution to propel the disciples. He's using every instance, good or bad, to propel us into the world and let the world know, hey, there's this God who ultimately satisfies even during our dark moments, even during our difficult days. These guys didn't act like refugees. They acted like missionaries. They didn't act like they were kicked out. They acted like they were sent out. That's the missio day that God is orchestrating all, all things because our God is in charge. If you don't understand the sovereignty of God, you're missing out on a huge part of, 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 of the word and truth. God is supervising all things and saying to us, be careful of prosperity. It can lead you down a wrong path. The lesson that comfort and ease and affluence and prosperity and safety and freedom is a, is a good thing is, 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 is deadly. Satan wants to bait, our, bait his hook with that. Just take it easy. There's, no, there's nothing to be concerned about. You got it good. Affluenza is the greatest disease our culture, culture has to do. Why do you need Jesus when you got everything we have? So while Satan tries to extinguish the church, God is going to excite the church. And how does he do it? He does it through trials and tribulations. What a sight. Here are these people. 
Streams of people leaving. Now, you know there's 20, 30,000 believers in Jerusalem. And there's a stream of people leaving with whatever they could grab last minute because they're being persecuted. And whatever they could carry in their hands, they're pouring out of the city gates of Jerusalem, scattering everywhere, cast com- basically completely dependent on the Lord for their livelihood without a single possession, only what they could carry. And they didn't hole up in caves and they didn't go to isolated places in the desert. Where did they go? They went everywhere preaching the word. And this is what you and I need to understand is that whatever God has us in, whatever situation, it is always an opportunity to point to the greatness and grace of Jesus. What are you going through right now? What are you wrestling with right now? You, you're struggling with an illness? Not that I want to minimize what you're, you're dealing with, but how does God want to use your sickness so that people go, you're not going to be debilitated by your sickness, but you're going to continue to see and Savior Jesus Christ? Wow. Tell me more about the hope that's in you. Right? You're going through some marital problems. You're having issues with your kids. There's a job issue. I don't know what it is, but do you think God has allowed these moments to come upon you for, for your defeat? He doesn't allow these things for your defeat. He allows these things for a declaration. And the declaration is, my heart is hopeful that God is in control. And as sure as he has saved my horrible butt from hell, sure as he's reached down and loved this sinner, this rebel, obstinate to the end, and shown me grace, there's hope for every single one of us. It's regular people like you and me taking an opportunity to say, while I could act like I'm in despair, I'm going to take it as a moment of declaration. God is my refuge. God is my hope. God is my strong tower. God is the one who's for me, not against me. What would that look like in our lives? Regular people like us. Because notice how the writer, Luke, look at verse 2. They all scattered except for the apostles. The professionals stayed back, which is awesome. The professionals stayed back. You want to know why? Because they were called to shepherd the church, and if everyone left, it would leave believers in the city without someone to lead them. But the, the, the ministry of, of, of the, the kingdom of Christ is not dependent on the paid professionals. The ministry is owned by all of us. The kingdom is, is worked by all of us. You know what this tells me? It says ordinary people like you and me could go out to the world and, and, and represent the Missio Dei. It's when people, and I love this, these are true stories, right? Someone's at Target. I'm not going to mention names. Someone has a spiritual gift of going to Target and striking up conversations with random people. And before you know it, they're a missionary at Target and they invite a family to Missio. And they, and they plug in here, right? Was this some slick TV commercial? Was this some slick mailer? Like, oh, look, we got to go to this church. They're serving Krispy Kreme donuts. Oh, whatever. No, is a person just saying, I'm available to talk to people, engage somebody in conversation, and before you know it, they, they hey, come check out this community of people that I, I've really got a chance to love and know. In my case, it was backing up and hitting someone's car in a parking lot. You know, 
Johnny. Like, that's our story. That is our story for all eternity, bro. I don't encourage car accident evangelism. That's not what I'm promoting here. But all it took was just a courteous exchange of information and me playing my pastor card and saying, hey, and God saying, hey, there's no, this is no accident, no pun intended, but God, Johnny says at that moment, like, God had been stirring in my heart, you need to get back to church. Was it an invitation, like, in the mail that he got and said, oh, miss you day, let's go. It was just someone just being kind and courteous, like, let's work this accident thing out, and, and God had more in mind. And it's how you go out and you represent God in your neighborhoods. And I hear, meet people all the time, oh, yeah, I work with so-and-so. See, that's the mission field. It's your neighborhood, it's your grocery store, it's your Target, it's your, it's, your, it's your favorite restaurant, right? Wherever you go, you are always an advertisement for Jesus, right? It doesn't need to be like anything like weird and like canned and pre-written. Just be you. Be you. And how much more you can you be and real can you be when you're going through crap? And God all of a sudden says, point to me. See, we can, we can point to Jesus in our prosperity. I'm going to tell you, it comes across a little canned. But when you point to God in your persecutions, it's real. And people go, I want to know more about that. So we have these uh, those little cards in the back. Mike Strong, can you grab one of those cards? It's on that table where there's those Bibles and pens. If you're out in the world, which you are, and you just want to encourage people in, in Christ, Look at those little invite cards. Hold them up for us. Little business cards, really nice stock paper, full color. You know what? You just say, hey, I don't know where you're at. This is who I am. I'm part of this really cool community. Um, I invite you to come check us out, right? But you are the one that's out there representing. You're the one that's out there. And, and the reason I, I continue to come back to this is the statistics. Here are the statistics for the church in America. Only 20% of churches in the U.S. are growing, and only 5% of those churches are growing by reaching lost people, which means 95% of church growth is not celebrating new birth. It's merely shuffling Christians around. And statistics also tell us that somewhere near 90% of active church-going evangelicals have never shared their faith with someone outside of their own family. So there's two things. One is, what are you waiting for to give a testimony to what God's done in you? That's called sharing your faith. And don't get all like worked up like, I don't know what to say. Like This is where Jesus says in Luke 21, don't pre-prepare. Trust the Spirit to give you the wisdom in the words. And connect with lost people because lost people are created in the image of God. And there's this eternal peace that God's created in them to, to, to know and to walk with God. You could become that bridge in their life. Which brings us to point number two. Imago Dei. Image of God. Why, why are we even talking about this? Because every single person is born with, with the image of God. We are all image bearers. The problem is, Without Christ, we continue to mar that image in our lives, 
right? Ever since sin came into the world, Genesis chapter 3, the image of God is marred and continually distorted. And this is why there's a lot of lost people out there. We're lost when it comes to politics. We're lost when it comes to sexuality. We're lost when it comes to the topic of abortion. Ding, ding, ding. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But the Imago Dei, Christ has come to reestablish the image of God that you're an image bearer in your life. And that can only happen through the cross. Salvation, Christ has come to know you as you truly are and to restore you in the glory that God has designed you to bear. Right? And so, Imago Dei. So check this out. So you got this guy, Philip, who is later known as Philip the Evangelist. It's awesome. He's this guy who says, I'm going to Samaritan, Samaria and minister to the Samaritans. Look at verse 5. So Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. Now, you need to know how monumental this is. The Jews in Jerusalem and the, the Jewish Gentile believers that lived in Samaria did not like each other. Hatfield, McCoys, whatever you want to call it, Republicans, Democrats, yeah, that's how, that's how vicious it was. But Philip says, they need Jesus. So I'm going to be scattered and go to this place that no one else would probably want to go. Why? Because Philip understands the importance of bridge building. And you don't start bridge building by making people come to where you're at. You start bridge building by going to where they're at. Write that down. That's huge. Every instance of bridge building in Acts is that the follower of Christ goes to where there is need. Too many churches think, if we just build big buildings and have great programs, people are going to come through our doors. Nope, that's when you get transfer growth and not eternal kingdom salvation growth. People, the unbelievers in the world aren't excited that you're building a new church building. Unbelievers in the world are excited that you're coming out of your comfort zone to connect with them in their environment, in their messiness. How much time did Jesus spend in the temples and religious places? Little. He was out on the highways and the byways, loving people where they're at, whether they be lepers, whether they be demon-possessed, whether they be hemorrhaging, whether they be tax collectors, whether they be prostitutes. It didn't matter. Jesus built bridges by going to where there was need. We don't sit back and go, well, I'm going to wait till they come to us. That's going to be when? Never. God says, you go be a bridge builder. Philip was a bridge builder. And so here he is, he goes to Samaria where no one else would want to go. And why, why was there this, this hatred? It's because in 722 BC, the Assyrians came in and took over this region of the Holy Lands. At this point, the, 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 the 12 tribes had divided 10 northern tribes, two southern tribes, and all of a sudden, there was intermarrying between the Assyrians and the Jewish people, and they basically became this, this impure group of people. So the pure Jews said, you're no longer part of us. Excuse the expression, they were half-breeds. They even built their own temple. <laughs> they even established their own forms of worship. And he even said, there's a story where they would launch pigs into the other temple. Because pigs were unclean animals. I, I want to be a part of that. That sounds like a fun party, doesn't it? We do teepee in people's houses. They launch pigs into the, into the holy places, right? 
I wonder if they're alive. That'd be fun to hear a pig like, you know, there he goes. Hatred. This is why Jesus condemns James and John, the sons of thunder, because they went to a Samaritan city and they tried to tell them about Jesus and they ran him out. And they say, hey, Jesus, is this the time we call down fire from heaven and destroy them? And Jesus said, settle down. Settle down. I know some of you are like that. You're just like firebrands. You're just like, oh, when do I get a call down fire from heaven? Never. Calling down fire from heaven is not a means to evangelize people. Can I, can I get that through your heads? All right. But Jesus, what does Jesus do instead? He starts his earthly ministry, and where does he go? He goes to Samaria and ministers to a woman at the well in the middle of the day who's been married five times, now shacking up with a guy she's not married to. That's called leasing with an option to buy. We don't encourage that. And she is ministered to by Jesus, who is the water who's come down from heaven. And, and she meets Jesus. The disciples were even concerned, like, Jesus, what are you doing going to Samaria? We don't go there. Jews would deliberately go out of their way to avoid Samaria. Jesus went right into it. Loved the woman where she was at. She comes to know him as the living water and goes back to her town, people that would shame her and condemn her, and she's rejoicing. And she says, come meet someone who knows everything about me. And she's happy about it. And it says in John 4 that several others in that community believed in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is a bridge builder. Didn't he make the hero of one of his most popular parables a Samaritan? Luke chapter 10, the, the good Samaritan? Here's what Jesus is saying. Stop with your prejudices. Stop with your racism. Stop with your bigotry. Stop with you compartmentalize people as oh, they deserve Jesus and they don't. Who are you? None of us in this room deserve Jesus. Amen? But for some reason, in God's mercy and grace, he gives us Jesus. And so the Imago Dei is, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on a path of fruitfulness that's paved by reclaiming God's message and my messiness. Because here's the thing. When you go into someone else's life, you're entering into something messy. We're all messes. Some of us are just messes for the glory of God. Amen? And some of us are messes who need desperately the love of God. And so Philip goes to an alien and hostile culture. Read into that our society. And we need to make this about not politics and not race, but the common denominator of Imago Dei is that we are all sinners. Here's common ground. We all fall short of the glory of God in desperate need of a Savior. And once you come to know Jesus, don't lose that, that, that mentality because we can become very pious. We can become, become very hypocritical. We can become very callous to the very people we're called to reach. So Philip goes to Samaria and he builds bridges. Socially, theologically, the Samaritans were, were open to Philip. Why? Because Philip himself was a Greek Jew. He wasn't even a Hebrew Jew. So he found some connection. And that's really the goal, isn't it? When we minister to people, can we just all admit that I'm going to minister to people you're not going to be able to minister to? And you're going to minister to people that I'm not going to be able to minister to? Why? Because somehow there's going to be some common point that we can have a dialogue 
That's not true with everybody. That's why there's this thing called minions. You're all now the minions of Jesus. Don't go out there dumb like the minions, but go out there and work wise. The Imago Dei is everyone. Every single person born created in the image of God. The Jews saw these people as ethically polluted, religiously confused, and morally debased, and yet Philip goes out and loves them. Here's the point. No one is without hope when it comes to the gospel. Never write anybody off as if, yeah, they'll never. Remember Saul? He's the last person you would think. But Luke knows what's going to happen. We know because we read ahead and go, Saul's change. We live in a culture that is messy. How has that messiness presented itself to us today? Well, Supreme Court, Friday, overturns Roe v. Wade. And all of a sudden, right, we knew it was going to happen. Like, all of us are surprised. You know, when the first thing was leaked about a month ago, we knew what was coming. Because this is such a monumental decision from SCOTUS, and because this is such a pivotal time for our country, there is a, there's a few minutes now I need to take as a pastor to, to point us in the right direction. And, and I want, and the way I frame this is there's myths. There's myths that exist outside the church and inside the church, and I want to dispel those myths for a few minutes. And you're going to hear these things. And, and myth number one, and I want to start with this. Myth number one, one is sometimes it's communicated that abortion is the unpardonable sin. That is not true. Can I get an amen on that? We all do things that may not be consistent with the will of God or the word of God. And how dare we go forth with a condemning attitude as if abortion is the unforgivable sin. The only sin that is unforgivable is dying without Christ and entering eternity without him. That's the only unforgivable sin. So don't treat people, and there may be people in this room, and I want to be sensitive to that, who may have had an abortion, may have thought about abortion, that is not the unforgivable sin. Amen? Myth number one. Myth number two is this. And again, this is where messiness is. is part. I'm just trying to make, sort out all the, all the messiness. Myth number two. Our bodies are not our own. Male nor female, you don't dictate what you do to your body. Your body belongs to God. Amago Dei, you're created in his image. He's the designer. I can't go and buy a Mercedes because <laughs> I'm a pastor, number one. But number two, <laughs> someone, someone who has this heart, they're going to be like, oh, pastor needs a Mercedes, and they're going to go buy me one. That's like a little fantasy I kind of... Boy, my car is 18 years old. It's high on mileage. Like, that pastor needs a Mercedes. <laughs> now, the designer of that Mercedes says there's a specific kind of gas you put in that Mercedes. But what if I said, it no longer belongs to the manufacturer. It belongs to me. I'm going to put lemonade in my Mercedes gas tank. H how far? Yeah. How far am I going to go? Not very far. How dare we adopt a mentality that says, my body is my body and I'll do whatever I want. Your body belongs to the Lord. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Your body belongs to God. Therefore, the Imago Dei says, 
How do I get out of messiness? I, I get out of messiness by stopping to think that I can do whatever I want to my body. I submit my body, just like I submit every other aspect of my life to him. My mind, my heart, my eyes, my ears, my everything belongs to God. Myth number one, your body does not belong to you. Myth number three, my sexuality can be expressed however I like. Because what happens is we're talking about abortion. Why? Because people make decisions regarding their body that aren't necessarily consistent with the will of God. Sex is God's idea. Can we just not rejoice in that? Sex is God's idea. But it is his idea, and it is not messy when your sex is experienced in the right and proper context. And what is that context? Married to the opposite sex, hopefully in Christ. Notice what I said there. You marry someone of the opposite sex. You're married. Sex is to be saved for marriage. Sex is such a good thing that God says, exercise discipline here. Because you don't want that river overflowing and getting beyond the, the, the barriers that God's established. There are many people in this room that can testify to the fact that, yeah, you don't want to, sex is enjoyable, but it's enjoyable without mess in its proper context. There's a lot of people here who can talk about messy sex. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> Sex in marriage is never messy in the sense of this is what God wants. Committed, monogamous, opposite sex attraction in a covenantal marital union with someone that now you can enjoy sex for the rest of your life with. We live in a, some people would say, sexually obsessed culture. It is a sexually bored culture. That's why we're talking, it seems like sex is the same sex, this sex, this sex. Listen, let me just tell you, again, God's design. Marriage, opposite sex, and hopefully it's to another person that loves Jesus. That's God's design. Amen? Uh, oh, I thought you guys were giving me a Kleenex. I think I need one. Uh, myth number three. This topic is not an American white male controlling privilege issue. This has been going on for, for centuries. has nothing to do with America. has nothing to do with the skin color. has nothing to do with masculinity. It has to do, again, with people departing from God's ideal. It's like Jurassic Park. Talk about a mess. The issue is not... Hey, can we do it? The issue is, should we do it? And all this comparison that, oh, we're turning into handsmade tail culture. Whatever. We're sinners. This is a fall issue. The myth is this. It has nothing to do with white American male privilege. And can I just say privilege? Here's what it has to do with choice privilege. At the end of the day, it comes down to your choices. Don't try to make it about somebody else. The problem is we don't want to live with the consequences of our choices. We want to blame somebody else. That's a myth. You are responsible for what you decide to do. Doesn't matter what part of town you're born in. Doesn't matter color your skin. At the end of the day, it's a choice privilege. My brother Johnny. Thanks, my friend. Myth number, which one are we on? 
Myth number four. Okay. My wants don't have to submit to God's will. Yeah. Someone texted me the other day. How are we to think about believers who support abortion? I said, you still love them? You still pray for them? But a believer who supports abortion, I'm going to tell you, is more informed by the world than they are the word. You can't follow Christ and support abortion rights. It's, it's inconsistent with the Imago Dei. He has created man with a certain sexual and anatomical physiological function to be the seed carrier. Biology 101. You guys ready? He's created woman, which you, if you take the title woman, she is a man with a womb. Right? God's created him to be complementary. And one carries the seed, the other carries the egg, and together they create something that only God in his amazing majesty can design and orchestrate. Psalm 139, in you I have, perf- I have formed you and made you. The sanctity of life is throughout Scripture from beginning to end. This is beautiful. This is something I've got. This is not you just going ahead and saying, yeah, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do and support the, the, the killing of the unborn. And No, that... No, that life is precious. And whenever someone says, well, it's woman's rights, well, what about the woman that's in- conceived? Who's speaking up for her? We believe, I believe that life happens at the moment of conception. Mago Day. Myth number five, this is a government issue. It's a church issue. The men and women of God have been negligent of our loving the world, especially with those who don't make good choices. I hate hearing the words like, we've won this battle. I'm victorious in this fight. You're not battling and fighting them. You're called to love them. There's no language of Jesus that says, all right, go out there, my little army of soldiers, and go fight, and the battle belongs to thee. It's his, it's his situation. That doesn't mean we don't get involved with government. That doesn't mean we don't elect people that would hold views that we would hold. I'm not saying that. But at the end of the day, your hope is not dependent on your government. Your hope is on an ultimate government, and that's called the kingdom of God, which will ultimately reign forever and ever and ever. Last point, and this one's going to be a little bit controversial. Myth number, what is it, seven? When I hear people say, now we can start loving people. Can I just tell you, for some, you missed your opportunity to love people. Just because things have worked in your or our favor doesn't mean now you can start loving people. You should have been loving people when things were working against you. The church is the church no matter who's in political office. And that church is called to love people with the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. If you only love Jesus when things are working in your favor, you're not loving Jesus at all. You love people because when those people are in despair and frustrated, they're going to remember the kindness and compassion and grace of someone who called themselves a follower of Christ, a Christian, and they're going to want to have conversation with you versus the ass-like Christian. Can I use that phrase? 
Why would I want to talk to you? You're the one that's angry and hostile as if your hope is in government and politics and legislation. Your hope is in Jesus. And when your hope's in Jesus, he, doesn't, he only feeds you grace and kindness and compassion. Don't go out there acting like a total jerk because some of you have missed an opportunity to have any sort of inroads with somebody when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you made politics more important than your faith. That's, that's the steam released from my, my head and my heart. After services, we're going to pray. Uh, we've got some leaders that are going to pray over here. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for what's going on. Men and women are equal messes in this world, and, and they're fighting for things that they think are going to bring them joy. Ladies and gentlemen, Christ is the only one that can bring anyone joy. Let's not lose sight of that. Um, clarification. Case-by-case situation. Whatever, whatever may happen to somebody, I think it's, it's worth a conversation to walk along and to bring wisdom and counsel to the table um, and to be available for whatever may be needed. You know how much God prizes the ministry to widows and orphans and, and the people that are marginalized and the people that don't have someone to fall back onto when it comes to emotional support, financial support. God prides himself in being a God who says, I care for these people and I want my people to care for them as well. So sometimes I think there's a huge disconnect and I think that's where the church comes in. Every situation's unique. I'm not here to speak to, I'm just broad perspective as a pastor to a, to a church, this is how we should think about these things, I think. So, does that help? Yeah. 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 Can I, uh, let me encourage you, and we'll go to the last point, it's only going to take a few minutes. Um, Lori is spot on in saying to us, while there are people talking about large, general, uh, you know, there's conversations about topics that some of us may, may never be directly involved in, sometimes people just like, is there a protest happening? Sweet! I'm going to get in the mix. What are we protesting? I don't know, but the people you're going to minister to may not be wrestling with abortion. They may be wrestling with an addiction. They may be wrestling with a, a horrible marriage. They may be wrestling with, they just don't have God, right? You have to understand, like, there's wisdom in recognizing, what is this person hungry for? Jesus didn't do this one-size-fits-all. He walked to every single person and said, Oh, you're at the well in the middle of the day. I wonder if you've been shunned by your community. Oh, you have? Oh, you've been married five times and now you're living with a guy you're not married to? <laughs> like, let me love you like you've never been loved before. Let me just tell you, there's a God who says, your thirst for relationship, while you're trying to find its satisfaction in human relationships, your thirst can only be satisfied by a divine relationship. So Jesus was the tax collector who's been disowned by his own community 
he seeks him out and says, if I love this guy, then everyone else goes, well, there's hope. And that tax collector throws the most amazing party at his house and pays back debts that he's infringed upon, right, with his own greed. So you have to realize that when it comes to the gospel, there's one message, but there's many applications. You have to be wise in knowing who am I ministering to. Every single one of us has an unbeliever in their life that is struggling with something. Your goal is to build a bridge, not inviting them to come to where you're at. you got to go to where they're at. Because every hunger is a hunger ultimately for God. Here's what the world does. It feeds on what the world offers, and it ends up still being hungry because the world was never meant to satisfy us. Only Jesus. Amen? Last point. We're, we're going to get done with this. Um, if, if there's something that didn't come, again, I always invite clarification. Don't, don't leave here and be like, Pastor Scott said that. And I'm like, I never really said that. I mean, if that's the way, I, I'm not a per. I can, I can make mistakes. I'm fallible. Amen? Well, thank you for, now everyone was like, amen, yeah. I'm fallible. Um, if there's anything that needs to put clarification, please give me the benefit of the doubt and say, hey, you said this. Is this what you meant? And I, Again, these are hard topics to talk about. And ultimately, at the end of the day, here's what I want. I want people to love Christ. Have him as their treasure. That's it. Amen? And this is the last point, Coram Deo. With this Latin phrase, so we've had mission of God, right? God who's on mission. We've had Imago Dei. We're creating God's image. Coram Deo is, is the goal. Living before the face of God. Living in the presence of God. How many of you have ever heard this phrase before, Coram Deo? Oh, it's so good. The path of fruitfulness is paved by relishing God's presence in my pardon. Here's why the people of Samaria rejoiced. God has been brought to them. There's a God that we, we call Emmanuel, God with us. Here, here's what we should consider is the fact that God has drawn near to us to invite us into relationship. But by doing that, he has to pardon us, right? We're sinners. He's holy. The two can never have relationship together. Christ separates us. Uh, Christ brings us together because there's a wall of sin. He breaks away that wall of hostility. And once we were called enemies, now we're called friends. We've been pardoned by the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? And we're invited into God's presence. I think of the psalm. I think it's Psalm 120, 121. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord but only he who has a pure heart? Well, guess what? Without Jesus, none of us can ascend that hill. But with Christ, we can approach even the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4. Woo! And now people are delivered of their, of their spiritual afflictions. People are healed of their physical infirmities. And now they have joy. Don't miss verse 8. Look at verse 8. And all Samaria, and there was much rejoicing. There's laughter in the streets, right? There's Lionel Richie saying, dancing on the ceiling like they're having a party. And everyone's going, why are those Samaritans so happy? Weren't they the ones just launching pigs into the temple? Well, let me just tell you. They've come to know Jesus, and when Jesus arrives, joy happens. Where Jesus is, there's joy. Can I get an amen? Frederick Nietzsche, antagonist to Christianity, was like, I will believe in your Redeemer when you start looking more redeemed. There are so many joyless Christians. I even hate to use the word joy and Christian 
simultaneously in that sentence because there's a lot of people who profess and don't possess. When you possess Christ, there is joy. Mother Teresa even said this, one filled with joy preaches without preaching. What is there being carried about your life that says, God has come near to me, he has built a bridge to where I'm at, and I was a stubborn, obstinate, disobedient sinner, rebel to the end, dead in my trespasses and sins, and God has made me alive in Christ? Are you kidding me? We're having fun now. There's laughter and there's joy. And these people who were so unloved have now experienced love. Because someone said, this is no longer about race. This is no more about religion. This is about sinners just like me. Who saw Elvis? Anyone see Elvis yet, the movie? All right, so I'm not going to ruin it for you. Elvis dies. Okay, so that's... Oh, oh, you guys don't know? Like, I felt that way with Titanic. People are like, yeah, have you seen Titanic? I'm like, does it sink? I mean, has, has someone changed the story? So Elvis, so I'm going to tell you, fantastic movie. I, I loved it. Uh, who saw it? Raise your hand. All right, so there's an So for me, sometimes I view movies through a gospel grid. There's a scene in the movie. I'm not going to ruin it for you. Don't worry. Colonel Tom Parker. This is really a movie scene through his, his perspective. Colonel Tom Parker was the main manager agent for Elvis his entire life. And he had a control on Elvis's life that uh, was, was manipulative, was abusive. But there's a scene in the movie where uh, Elvis is potentially going to get this, um, what do you call it when someone has an apprenticeship in a location like Vegas? You have a uh, residency. New hotel. If, if Elvis is on that stage every night, we're going to be good. So Colonel Tom Parker, Elvis's agent, and the owner of the hotel reach an agreement right there in the, on this table and it says... Because Colonel Tom Parker is in debt. He is a, he's a gambling addict, and he has no money. And the owner of the hotel says, if you keep Elvis on that stage, you will continue to be debt-free in our relationship. So, it, so if Elvis doesn't perform, Colonel Tom Parker is out. And this is why there's abuse. And no matter how tired Elvis is, no matter how much this guy has been worked to the bones... Colonel Tom Parker can care less about Elvis's heart. He only wants him outperforming. And I'm like, that is exactly what the enemy does to us. He continues to say, just keep performing. Because um, the, more, the, the more you perform, the more your debt's cleared. Can I just tell you, when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he's pardoned your debt, and you don't have to perform anymore. When Jesus says your sins have been forgiven, there's not a little remnant still left to be forgiven and somehow through your goodness and through your actions and through your behaviors, you can continue to clean the rest of the debt. Jesus has done it all. And you don't have to perform. The enemy wants to work you to death. Jesus says, I've given you life through my death. Stop acting, stop behaving, and just be in my presence. Live before the face of God and understand you are pardoned now and forever. And when you experience that relationship, there's joy. We see the tragic effect in a guy like Elvis. And I, I feel for him. I, I was eight years old when Elvis died. I remember when that happened. My parents were crying. 
He was such a cultural icon. But what that, that, all of us feel what we saw on the screen and how many of us feel that just as humanity. Stop doing and just be pardoned by Christ because he's done it all. Live before the presence of God and be filled with joy. And now that message, people are going to listen. People are going to pay attention. Your joy may be a means of evangelism like you haven't even believed yet. You don't understand. So let's pray. Where's God sending you? Where's he sending you? Once you leave here, where's he sending you? And not only where is he sending you, but with what message is he giving you? I pray it's, it's pointing people to Christ, no matter what may be going on. Amen? Love you guys. Yeah, I didn't get an amen. Did, amen, church? Okay, good. Just make sure you guys are still alive out there. We need to pray. I've got some leaders that are going to gather over here in this area. If you're interested in praying as a group for about 10, 15 minutes, just pray. Pray for our country. Pray for our leaders. Pray for us. Um, let's not give up praying. Amen? Let's stand. And let's pray. Before we pray, Lord, thanks for this morning. Thank you for your kindness and goodness and mercy and grace. Lord, I, I'm humbled by the fact that, you know, we're here again. And it's evidence that you uh, want us to be together, but you want to be in, in, involved in this. You're, you're in the mix. And not only are you in the mix, you're the focus. You're the, you're the object of our affection. You're the you're the one who gives us the cues. You're the one who calls us back to what's important. And so thank you for your truth and your word that does that, Lord. Um, not only work in us, but work through us. I pray that something this morning from your word and, and from my mouth would just continue to allow us to be those gospel messengers and those image bearers you have called us to be. Um, there's a world that's dying without hope, and we, we claim to have that hope, and his name is Jesus. Help us to be faithful to, to representing and communicating him uh, with, with, with respect and with graciousness as we encounter all different types of people. Thank you, Father, that you're building your kingdom. Thank you, Father, that you're building your church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Thank you for, uh, again, your call in our lives and allowing us to be a part of your family. And we, we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and our Savior. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face toward you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. All right, if you're interested in praying, gather over here. Uh,